Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the show. I am Chris Graham, joined by Scott German. We're going to talk UVA basketball after the 70-68 win at Michigan last night in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, the final ACC Big Ten Challenge for Virginia. As uh, playing that will wrap up tonight, next year, starting the ACC-SEC Challenge. But uh, Virginia rallying from 11 down last night with defense, some balanced offense, and a tough, gritty win for this Virginia team, Scott. Absolutely. Everything you said. And I'm exhausted today because I'm functioning on about three hours sleep. Um, Those late games are, are tough for us old folks. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you, that's, that's, that's Virginia basketball that we missed seeing pretty much all last year. And, you know, the, 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 the beauty about that is that Virginia, Virginia won that game on the defensive end of the floor last night. And that, that's old school Virginia basketball. Oh yeah. That's, uh, you know, you said Scott, the, the first time that we've, uh, seen Virginia basketball, uh, like that, uh, you know, in, in the past year or so. I think it's the first time since the 2018-2019 national title team. I mean, honestly, you know, the vintage kind of ran out around that time. The 2020 team won the ACC regular season championship. That team was Sam Hauser and Jay Huff and Mamadi Diakite, all of whom were playing professional basketball. Uh, but really, you know, the, the, the glory years of 2013 to 2019, you know, when you had the Malcolm Brogdons and Justin Andersons and uh, Joe Harris's and London Parentes, and then, of course, the group that won the title, DeAndre Hunter, Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, those teams um, were the, 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 you know, the stock that Tony Bennett's uh, foundation was built upon. This team reminds me of those teams. Uh, it remind, you know, Reese Beekman kind of reminds me of, he has a lot of Malcolm Brogdon in him, for example. Um, you know, I, I look at uh, Jaden Gardner and, and Ben Vanderplas both as being guys who play like Anthony Gill, uh, you know, at the four spot. This team just has tough guys up and down it. And I don't want to say that the other guys weren't tough. It's just the mix after the title team until this year, because this team is pretty much last year's team with Ben Vanderplas and a couple of freshmen who are going to be playing bigger roles down the stretch. Um, but but this team just seems like it's got all the pieces, kind of like that 2018-2019 team that won the national championship. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, if there, there's – we're, we're razor thin, <clears throat> thin close, I believe, to being able to jump to that next level. And I think we know what the next level would be, would be a, to be a Final Four team. Um, if we can get a little more consistency from, I think Gardner's pretty consistent, but certainly Ahmad Franklin, uh, Shedrick is, is real close to making that final step from being pretty good to, you know, <laughs> pretty awesome uh, and get some development from, from the sub, you know, Tony played what, eight, eight, eight last night. Seven? He played, he played nine guys actually. Oh, um, did he? Okay. Yeah, a couple guys only got a few minutes. And when I look at the stats here real quick, um, the minutes were uh, Ryan Dunn got five minutes. Francisco Gaffaro only got four minutes because of his foul trouble and McNeely got three, oh, excuse me, got 10 Vanderplas off the bench got 24. So yeah, you did have four guys, but, Dunn really got his minutes because 
of the foul trouble um, for Shedrick and Kafaro. Um, Vanderplas stepped in nicely playing at five. So um, versatility with that uh, also was a hallmark of that 2018-2019 team. You had guys like DeAndre Hunter, Braxton Key who could play multiple positions. Ben, ben Vanderplas gives this team an interesting dynamic with his ability to play both offensively and defensively multiple positions. Yeah, Ben Vanderplas is, to me, could represent to Virginia what Brady Mannix represented to North Carolina last year. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, you go back talking about the rotation. Um, McKinney, Dunn, I think they just need – they need a little more playing time. And here's the here's – the, here's the ironic – maybe not ironic, but here's the thing – about that is we're moving into the time of the year where where rotations are tightened up and some of these guys that aren't getting a lot of minutes traditionally you would think oh maybe the minutes are going to even dry up more because we're moving into we're getting away from the non-conference schedule we're starting to move into the conference schedule well we do Saturday against Florida State but you know with the if you've watched the ACC this year it's pretty weak and the way Virginia's playing right now, there's going to be a potentially a lot of blowout opportunities. So these guys are not – these guys are going to get more minutes on the floor if things, you know, play out the way they look like they're going to play out. So uh, the, the, the weakness of the league, especially towards the bottom, is going to give these guys probably a lot more minutes than they normally would be getting as December turns into January, you know? Well, and that's going to be good. I mean, if that ends up being the case, uh, you know, uh, Isaac McNeely is going to get minutes anyway. He's going to be the the first guard off the bench. Um, you know, uh, Ben Vanderplas is going to be the he going to be and is the first forward off the bench. And so that's if the rotation gets down to seven, those will be your seven, your five starters, and then and then McNeely, uh, and then Vanderplas. You know, interesting. Tane Murray didn't get off the bench last night. He he's your tenth guy. I mean, there's a, there's a, this is a deep team. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, if, if, uh, you know, if you get opportunities, uh, with some garbage time minutes late in games, uh, you know, uh, more of those this year, you'll have, it's a chance for these guys to develop. I mean, you you can get only so good in practice. I mean, of course there's a lot of talent on that Virginia roster and those practices are pretty spirited, but you don't, you get better in practice, but you really see what guys can do in game situations, even though if it's garbage time situations, you're still playing other ACC athletes. And um, in less than less controlled environments than you play in practice. So, you know, yeah, we'd love to see guys like Ryan Dunn, uh, you know, get more playing time. Tane Murray gets some more playing time in those kind of situations. Maybe even in some games, working them in in first halves of games. We said Ryan Dunn got uh, some first half minutes for a couple games uh, because he did so well. I think it was the Mon- was it uh, fairly Dick or Mon- Monmouth? I'm thinking of last year fairly Dick. The Monmouth game. He he did well in that game, and then. He earned some playing time uh, in the first half, I think, in the Baylor game. So you'd love to see those guys getting some late-game minutes that can maybe translate into earlier game minutes, like last night. Last night, Caden Shedrick gets in foul trouble. Francisco Cafaro gets in foul trouble. So Ryan Dunn gets five minutes playing at, at the big spot. Uh, that's That kind of thing is only going to be helpful to this team if those guys can develop in season and then be available in late February into March into April. Yeah, and and as I said, this is the time of year. You know, we've got we've got a few more non-conference games left. Uh, one of which is Houston. So certainly, that's not that's not a, a pastry by any means. But 
yeah, there the opportunities are going to be there for these guys, and um, you know it's the it's going to be interesting to see just how to watch their uh, progression and to see how Tony incorporates that into the into the offense. So I have a question for you, and I was thinking about it just watching just watching the game last night from, from my perspective, and you and I both see Virginia play both in person and as and on TV as much as anybody, if not more. Do you think Tony's once and for all completely uh, shed the, the 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 stigma that he's he's not he's set in his ways and he'll never change his 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 philosophies because just watching him now it looks like we're seeing Tony just be be so adaptive to to the personnel that he has on the floor. Do you do you do you get that feeling at all? Oh yeah, uh, you know, even even as recently as last year, there were there was a lot of mover blocker offense, the sides offense, some people call it, that um, didn't feel like it was working a lot last year, to be honest. Um, especially when you've got a point guard, I mean, you got two point guards on the floor, Kia Clark and Reese Beekman, but you got an NBA talent in Reese Beekman at point guard, uh, and um, you know the, the the mover blocker offense relies a lot on you know the point guard kind of just moving the ball around and. Um, you know, really not creating as much. I mean, it's more like a, the team creates shots with the motion offense. And so, yeah, this year you're seeing a lot of sets that look more like NBA sets. Um, you know, uh, Jerry Ratcliffe and I talked on podcast, uh, it was this summer after the Italy trip, that there was a lot of talk about how Tony was using that Italy trip for lots of things. I mean, for team bonding and that kind of thing, but also to kind of, uh, you know, play, play around with, uh, you know, some more pro-type sets. Um, and, and the, the game against that last opponent whose name escapes me because that was back in July, but, uh, the, the last opponent was a team full of NBA prospects, you know, guys who, you know, in Europe who, uh, would be eligible for the NBA draft coming up. And actually there were a lot of scouts in those games looking at how they would play against, you know, a, a top college team. You might remember Virginia lost the first game by 20 plus points, came back and won the second game. Uh, and, and it was a much faster paced game. I think the score of the second game was in the nineties. Both teams were in the nineties in that game. Um, and so Tony was using that to, to try to test these, you know, these ideas out. Hey, can we, can we do, can we run off screens differently? Can we have some sets where we have a guy stationed in the, in, in the short corner on, on the side of a play and, and maybe kick it out and, and see what happens after a pick and roll at the top, you know, stuff that you don't always see. They're still running a lot of that sides offense, that motion mover blocker offense, but they're doing different things because they've got personnel who can run it. I mean, the personnel that he has at his disposal this year uh, is akin. I, I know I'm, I'm going to be sacrilegious here when I say this. I don't think personally that the best team that Tony's had at Virginia was a team that put the banner up. Uh, those guys love them. They're going to live in lore forever. I got a sign behind me about a book that we all helped co-write about the championship they won. But I think the best teams he had were the Malcolm Brogdon, Justin Anderson, Joe Harris, London Parentes, Anthony Gill, Mike Toby teams. I mean, God, and, and I'm leaving out Darion Atkins and, and Akil Mitchell. There were a lot of guys on those teams that were, were uh, you know, NBA quality, pro-quality pro players. I thought though, and th this team reminds me of those teams in terms of their the versatility, the grit, their offensive abilities, um, the way they can play defense. Everything about these guys reminds me of those mid-2010s teams. And um, he's, he's, playing to their strengths he's Reese Beekman he's unleashing Reese Beekman he's 
you know, uh, Kia Clark has nothing to be ashamed of. He's getting in the lane and doing what he can do. Um, you, you talked about Caden Shedrick. Man, he hit a three last night in, in, in the rhythm of the offense. It wasn't an end of shot clock. Throw it up and pray and hope it goes in three. Caden uh, Shedrick, Anthony Gill years ago could have done that kind of thing, just didn't because the offense at that time didn't allow for, you know, fours and fives to shoot threes. Ben Vanderplas hit a big three last night in the face of a 7-1 guy. So, yeah, he is – you, Scott, you're exactly onto it there. He is using his players, his talent, to the height of their abilities in a way that he didn't even a few years ago. Yeah, and if you look at – and it's not going unnoticed. Uh, look at the recruiting. Look at the four-star players that are in the fold for next year. They, they're seeing this. Um, this this – this stigma that Tony runs this 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 slow molasses style offense um, is is just not not true. Um, I mean, last night the the team played with a lot of up tempo, many possessions. If you watch, I mean, you know, you could tell that he's he's adapting to the personnel that he has on the floor, which is just another you know, example of what a, what a, what a magnificent coach he is. And, and I know we're biased in that we're looking through rose colored glasses, but it'd be hard to, 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 to argue that, that he's taking the talent, he's taking the, the personnel that he has and he's letting them play to their strengths. But you know, what's interesting about that, Scott, uh, looking at the numbers here and I've got them in front of me, um, venture, a guess, if you didn't look at this already, how many possessions there were in last night's game per team? I, I'm, I did not look. I, I did look at stat broadcasts a lot to, to, to just look at stat. I'm going to say low 60s. Yeah, Michigan had 58. Virginia had 60. Okay. I mean, this was still Tony Bennett's uh, pace. I mean, it was still – It just, just looked faster. It looks faster because the offense is more efficient. I mean, this is his – I'm going to pull up this stat now. Uh, let's see. So this year's team is is fifth in the country at the moment in terms of offensive efficiency, 1.168 points per possession. Um, the, the last team that's been this good was the title team. It was second in the country, 1.234 points per possession back in 2019. Um, you know, Virginia still at this stage ranks 361st in Division One in adjusted tempo. There's 363 teams. It's just it feels different because – you know, they're, they're not going through those lulls like we saw the last, you know, two or three years with, you know, four or five minutes at a stretch where not only would a, bat, a ball not go through the hoop, it didn't even seem like it came close to going through the hoop. I mean, now it seems like, I mean, I was watching a game with a friend last night who said it, it feels like every time they go up the floor, they're going to score. I mean, and you're surprised when they don't. This reminds me again of that 2019 team and those early you know, oh. mid 2010 teams that it felt the same way when Malcolm Brogdon and Justin Anderson and Joe Harris were on the floor, they're going to score points. When you had Ty, uh, Ty Jerome, Kyle guy and Deandre Hunter, they were going to score points. These guys feel the same way. Yeah. And, and Tony's playing to their strengths. You know, can you ever remember maybe 2019 might be the, the, the closest on uh, an, an offense um, that is this, this, this balanced right. where You've got five guys that on any given night, there's there's no uh, there's no reason to believe that any five could lead this team in scoring. Yeah, 
Oh yeah. I mean, this reminds me of the 20, the 2019 team was the same way. Right. Um, Ty Jerome would hit the big shots. Uh, We we remember Deandre Hunter hitting some big shots, both at Louisville in a game uh, in 2018. And then of course at the final four, hitting a three to tight and send it to overtime. Kyle, Kyle guy obviously hit a lot of big shots. And then, you know, you're, you're the guys, you know, that I keep mentioning the guys who are now starting in the NBA, make a lot of money. The Joe Harris is Malcolm Brogdon's could hit big shots. Yeah. This, this group literally, uh, you know, yeah. You know, so last night, Armand Franklin has two points on one of six shooting. He had 26 in the win over Baylor a couple weeks ago. You don't need him to score 26 every night because uh, there were five guys in double figures last night. That's that's what this team. There's any any of six guys can lead this team in scoring, and you wouldn't be surprised by it. No, I would not. I think I was looking at some stuff. I think he, if you went back to 2014 with Malcolm, Joe Harris, Gill. Uh, we haven't mentioned we haven't mentioned um, uh, Anderson much. Yeah, no, yeah. Anderson, yeah. Um, Mitchell, Mike, Toby. Yeah, that was a pretty balanced team as well. But but this year's team, I, there's just there's five guys out there that can step up offensively, and Tony recognizes that. And it's surprising to see when I when I was just flipping through the numbers real quick as you were talking um, at the at the efficiency numbers. Um, those early the, the the team that had three NBA players, you, you know, one first round draft pick in, in Justin Anderson and then Joe Harris and Malcolm Brogdon, Brogdon, eventual rookie of the year. The, the, they only played together that one year um, in 2013, 2014. I guess they, they technically played together. Well, let me think. Anderson wouldn't have been part of the team when Malcolm was a freshman because he came in a year later. And then Malcolm had to sit out a redshirt year with that injury. So that group, that, those three guys only played together one year. They were ranked 21st in the country in offensive efficiency. Those three guys, um, two of whom are making lots of money in the NBA. And Justin Anderson has been on the fringe, unfortunately, for him for a number of years. But he's still out there applying his trade. Um, those guys were nowhere near as efficient as the guys on the floor right now um, for Virginia. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think we need to throw a nod to the defense, too, because you wrote a nice column. Virginia gave up 45 points in the first half. And, you know, I'm, you know, as I'm watching with my little watch party uh, here at the home office, I'm saying that's not going to continue. They're not, Michigan's not going to score 90 in this game. Um, But that said, uh, Virginia held Michigan to 23 in the second half. Um, In the first half, 1.4 points per possession, second half, 0.8 points per possession for Michigan. They shot 38% in the second half after shooting 61% in the first half. Um, they were seven of thirteen in the first half from three, one of six in the second half from three. Um, yeah, and doesn't that tell you something? Thirteen first half three point shots, six, six in the second. Only six attempts. Yeah, six, only six attempts. They took one less attempt in the second half than they made in the first half. And and at the same time, Virginia was just as efficient as they as they were in the first half, and because Virginia had a hot shooting first half, had a good second half as well. But it's because Tony said. Um, we got, we got to, I want to let you help tell the story, but he basically said, we got to be grittier than this. I mean, I, I loved how he quoted his dad, uh, in yes. reference to what they needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on the post game show last night, that's what he said. He, he, he quoted his dad, it's time to take the tuxedos off <laughs> and, and realize that, you know, the, Hey, we're, we're, we're playing big, we're playing in a big 10, we're playing a big 10 opponent and we're okay playing. That's who we really are. We can play that. We can play that style of game. Let's play it. And that's, I think I titled, uh, that was the caption. They had a wardrobe change at halftime <laughs> because they came out with the tuxedos off 
and the uh, calf, what is it? The calf heart uniforms on the, the, yeah. the work yeah. uniforms uh, yeah. or the Dickies or whatever you want to call them. Um, they came out playing physical basketball and you could tell, you could just see the difference. Didn't take a, you know, uh, Naismith uh, or John Wooden to look at that game last night and just see that that was a different Virginia team from a physicality standpoint in the second half. And when they were down by 11, I, I hadn't looked at stat broadcast. I was up watching on TV and I thought, I got to go over and just look at stat broadcast to see if there's anything there statistically, because we're both kind of analytical geeks as far is there anything statistically that would indicate Virginia could make a comeback in this game and the first thing that jumped out and I knew they were shooting well oh Michigan 7 of 13 from the three-point line if we can snuff that out we can get right back in this game and, and it didn't take but a couple of minutes to 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 you know knock to chip away at that 11-point lead and you know Michigan came into the game I was reading the story prior to their game, they weren't a real good three-point shooting team. They were only 30%. Right. So they were shooting way above their uh, above their capabilities against a very good defensive team. So I thought, you know, if, if Tony can make some adjustments, if the team comes out and they start playing a little better defensively, uh, deny some of those three-point shots. Some of them were, were contested, but others were – look like they're pretty good looking shots, then we're going to get back into this game. And that's exactly the way the game unfolded. Got to give credit to Ben Vanderplas because we talked about the foul trouble that Francisco Cafaro had four fouls in four minutes of play. Uh, it ended up that uh, Caden Shedrick fouled out of the game. He had a nice offensive game, 11 points on five or six shooting. But um, you know, the big guy uh, for Michigan uh, was was just so tough. Uh, Hunter, Hunter, um, Hunter Dickinson was just so tough uh, as a guard. He, he's going to be an NBA player. He, he's got, you know, a, a, he kind of reminds me of Davidus Sabonis, um, and uh, who's now plays with the Sacramento Kings, former Indiana Pacer, left-handed guy with a with a good mid-range jump shot. Can can score at the basket. Can score away from the basket. He, he's a he's a really good passer, um, and uh, he's he's a matchup problem. He, he obviously was because he created all those fouls for Virginia's starting center and backup center. Um, and so Ben Vanderplas pressed into action because there's nobody else behind them. I mean, you know, not a lot of teams carry three, you know, six, 10, seven foot guys and Virginia is, uh, you know, not, not going to be doing that. Um, not a lot of NBA teams carry those that many of those, those size guys anymore. And so um, Vanderplas is six, eight, who's a stretch four. He, he's a, he's a guy that he'll, he's just as adept running off screens and hitting threes as he is playing in the post. He's given up five inches and some poundage too to to this Dickinson kid, and I wouldn't say he stopped him, but he he made him work for his points. And let me actually look at those stats. In the first half, Dickinson had fourteen points on seven of ten shooting. Second half, he had nine points, but he was two of seven from the field. Um, and so, uh, and that just you know, in, in a lot of those minutes, he was being guarded by a guy much smaller than him. That that you know, Ben Vanderplas stepped up last night in a big way. And I expect that to happen a lot this year. I think he's going to have some great opportunities. Um, and I think he's very comfortable being that sixth man, if that's the way it unfolds for the rest of the year. Um, um, as I said, I think he's going to be our Brady Mannix this year to, to Carolina for, for what Mannix did for Carolina. Um, so I'm going to change the subject quickly. 
Um, going back to last year, um, towards the end of the season, we, Augusta Free Press, we were at the game and we, we kind of broke the news early to folks that, hey, Kia Clark's coming back. Uh-huh. When there was a, there was a, a ton of debate is, is he coming back or is he not? And, and we kind of knew the story of that well before it, it was finally released. Looking, this may be key. This could potentially be Kia Clark's best year because he's finally, um, he's finally being able to play the role that's best suited to him. And don't you think that was what Tony and Kia and they, when they sat down and talked about that, that's, to me now, looking looking back, that's probably what, what Coach Bennett and Kia talked about is your role is going to be different next year. And to me, thinking back and now looking ahead at what he's done so far, um, they knew exactly what him returning to Virginia could be this year. I'm looking at his numbers now. Yeah, his his scoring is 9.5 points a game. He's not being asked. The Virginia has four guys averaging in double figures. Uh, in fact, uh, it's, it's, this is, you talk about balance on this team. Um, Reese Beekman, Armand Franklin, both averaging 11.8, Jalen Gardner, Jaden Gardner, 11.5, Caden Shedrick, 11.3, and then Vanderplas averaging 8.5. There's a lot of balance on this, on this Virginia offense um, from that standpoint. But so Kihei's not having to shoulder a load like he had to the last couple of years. Um, and he's averaging five assists a game. Uh, his turnovers are at 1.7, so that's down from, from where it's been. He's not having to create uh, as much as he'd had in the past. I'm, I'm going to look at his career numbers there. When you look at his season numbers for the last few seasons, boy, in 2019-2020, if you remember that year, that's the year that, I mean, there was basically no offense that year. Um, a lot of Virginia wins in the 40s that year um, yeah. with that team. Um, he averaged 3.5 turnovers per game because he was being asked to create everything. Even last year, 2.2. He's down to 1.7 now. He's shooting 41.9% from the field, which would be a career high for him if, if it were to hold. He's shooting 44.4% from three, which would be by far a career high. Uh, it would be seven points higher than his career high. So he's more efficient, uh, and as a result, a lot better player. And I'm, that's not even counting what he does on defense. That's just talking about what he does offensively. So, you know, my wife sits uh, in a, a part of JPJ – uh, where she says two rows behind her are t- apparently two of the leaders of the key haters fan club, you know, the, the people who hate Kihei Clark. And every time he does anything that they think is wrong, these people sigh loudly, talk loudly about why is this kid here? Why is he still playing? He's ruining the team. And uh, Scott, I think your point is valid. The, the, he, he was, he's a big reason why that 2019 team won a national championship. This might be his best year. Absolutely. And they knew that. And Coach Bennett knew that. And Kia knew that. And that's that was that was factored into his desire to come back for, for another season. And you know, I read something once. Well, he's only at his best when he's surrounded by talent. Okay. Who isn't? Who does that not apply to? Uh, that, hey, hey, that applies to King James. <laughs> when you think that LeBron James is not at his best right now, because he doesn't have any talent around him. Well, it's from a win-loss standpoint, he's not. No, and, and you know, I'm thinking about every. I mean, Shea Gilgis Alexander is, is supposedly the next big NBA star. He's, he's unfortunately for him stuck in Oklahoma City with nobody around him. So, no, it's 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 hard to be a star by yourself. And um, 
especially when you're a point guard, a point guard who has, you can't pass it to yourself. You can't pass to a wide, Kia Clark can't drive the lane and pass to a wide open Kia Clark on the perimeter. Um, you know, you need guys to kick it out to him and for Reese Beekman the same way. Um, yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, I think the only, the only problem I see with this season, Scott, is that I think Reese Beekman is playing himself into not having a senior season at Virginia because I think the young man is finally tapping into his potential. Uh, after this season, I foresee um, a testing of the NBA draft waters and then an answer coming back to him, stay in the draft, you're a first-round pick. Yeah, unfortunately, you're probably right. And that's okay. That's okay. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take that. If he I'll, has a career, if he has a season that lends him to being a first round NBA pick, then we're probably going to end up in the final four. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's not we're not going to be an early exit in the NCAA tournament and Reese Beekman be a a first round draft pick. That's yeah, just not I, gonna happen. And uh, I think that's the reason you're seeing Tony really putting a premium uh for the 2024. Uh, recruiting class, um, I guess 2023 recruiting class too, to, uh, to see if he can find a point guard. If he can scrunch up a point guard somewhere, Isaac McNeely can play it. But uh, Reese Beekman is finally tapping into, I keep, I've, I've been saying this for three years, his inner Malcolm Brock. Um, we saw it last night. We saw it in the Illinois game too. Um, when, when Virginia needs a basket to, to shut down a, a, a run by the other team, Reese Beekman, he hit a three last night in rhythm. He uh, drove to the basket several times and got, uh, you know, nice hard layups. That one dunk that we saw that was you know, showing off his athleticism. He comes back hurt after spraining his ankle, having to get it taped up, having to go run in the tunnel to see if he can even put weight on his foot. He makes the steal of the game uh, when the, the margin's one point uh, and he, he steals the ball and gets fouled makes one of the two free throws. Kia Clark then on the subsequent possession after the intentional foul call makes two more free throws. That play is what sealed the game last night. A guy who's playing 75% because he's got a foot injury. Reese Beekman willed his team to win last night. He was one of the few guys, one of a few guys who did that for his team last night, but man, oh man, he is starting to play like the guy that we've known he could be when he first walked on grounds. Yeah, he, he definitely is. And, um, yeah, if he turns out to be if if he ends his season as a as a first round draft pick, then great. That's just that uh, means we've had a pretty special season. That's you know, in my story, I said the player the, the team ball last night should have went to trainer Ethan Saliba. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from what I was, what little they show they if you go to YouTube, there's another video of it. Uh, uh, Cedric, I don't know if it was his. I think it was his mouth, wasn't it? It looked like, yeah, he looked like he he took a blow to the like the nose and mouth area right there, maybe the bridge of the nose, so it got a little bit of the nose and a little bit of the mouth. But he he looked like he was in a like an MMA match. After, yeah, he after was that. gushing blood, and yeah. for for uh, for even to, <laughs> to close that wound and get him back in the game, and Beekman, the tape job on Beekman, the pit crew at a NASCAR. Uh, event would have been proud of that. The guys that changed the four tires in about four and a half seconds. Yeah. Um, you know, he Beekman was, I was thinking that's it. He's going to go in the tunnel and that's the last you're going to see of him. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, especially seeing that replay, he landed awkwardly on a guy's foot. I've done that numerous times. Scott, you probably have two playing pickup ball. That hurts. Um, and the, the work on Caden Shedrick reminded me of like a, a good cut man in a corner in a, in a boxing match. I mean, right. 
I mean, that's that's not easy work. And in and, and the variety of things you have, if you're a cut man in a boxing corner, you're pretty much focusing on cuts. If you're a trainer on a, you know, for, for a basketball team, you don't know what they're going to come to you with. And two big situations there. Yeah, yeah that game ball, game ball to him, um, to the uh, wardrobe people who took the tuxedos off the guys at halftime. Um, yeah, the, 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 the planning to make sure we had uniforms to change into, right? <laughs> change into, yeah. The, the, uh, the, the, uh, the support staff there had to be uh, thinking ahead as we traveled to Ann Arbor. And so uh, as we get ready to wrap up here, man, uh, you know, the, the win last night, huge win. Virginia's got Florida State this weekend. Yes, Florida State's one and seven on the season right now. Um, they're still Florida State. We still remember uh, last February, Virginia making a run towards a possible NCAA tournament berth. That three-pointer at the buzzer from about 40 feet, I, I've, I don't think I've ever heard 15,600 people ever more quiet in my life because that just kind of – you knew in that moment when that ball went through the net, we're not going to make the NCAA tournament. Um, and so there's a little bit of payback there probably owed, and maybe we, we can see if Virginia can, can give that back. And then coming up on Tuesday, a special kind of payback for the folks from JMU after their – That game may not be um... – Fit, that game may be R-rated from the yeah. standpoint. I don't look for Tony to be pulling starters very, very early in that game. Well, let's let's give JMU some credit. I just looked it up. They're uh, in, in Ken Palm. They're 79th in the country right now. They played Carolina tough, uh, lost by 16, but that game was a lot closer than the final score to indicate. So, um, yeah, um, I mean, but the folks who, who don't remember, there was a F.U. Tony chant for some reason. I mean, yeah, for what reason? Here, Tony Bennett brings Virginia to your arena. He didn't have to. Uh, Virginia it would be, probably be the last time Tony oh, Bennett ever brings that, to that arena. Yeah, I mean, but he doesn't have to. He could be like Duke. Duke never plays anybody in November and December on their court. They play a couple neutral court games and they play in Durham. Um, Tony makes it a point. He's played at George Mason. He's played, you know, he'll, he'll go to VCU. I, I, that, that wasn't a 2018, 2019. That was another game that wasn't faint for the heart. I mean, I've I heard that the fans were pretty. Nah, I was there. It was, it was, it was VCU. It was, a, it was, I love the environment. It was a great environment. Um, he'll play, he, he'll, he went to, he went to JMU and never do that again. Um, but he go, he makes it a point to go and play these games because he, he played at Wisconsin green Bay. And he said, he remembered that no one would play them in their gym. So he wants to go and play the mid majors on their, on their court every once in a while. But he's honestly, folks, he's doing you a favor. And if he does you a favor and you say, F you, Tony, he ain't doing any more favors for you. And next week's game. Yeah. Let's hope there's a little bit of stepping on the throat, um, which would be rare for Tony to want to do, but, um, uh, we're, we're going to be sitting around there waiting to see some of that going on next Tuesday night. Yeah. Three games in a row. All three teams beat us last year. Yeah. Cause the Houston games after the break. Yeah. That, that's the one. Okay. So, you know, you don't want to count any, any chickens, but when the next two, which you'll be favored to do so rather, rather heavily, then the game after the exam break is at least one versus three, if not one versus two, if Virginia can accede to the number, uh, to the number two spot by then. So, only the biggest non-conference game probably ever played in JPJ. Yeah, I agree. And uh, boy, I tell you what, it could be. I mean, if Houston holds serve, I said earlier in our phone call, Houston is um, running the playing the gauntlet of Virginia schools. They got past Norfolk State last night. Now they now they've got Virginia in a couple of weeks. So yeah, uh, they barely you know they beat Georgia Tech or Norfolk State last night in a in a squeaker, hundred to fifty two. 
So uh, yeah, they're hoping they're hoping to stake a claim to the state championship of Virginia if they can win uh, <laughs> here in a couple of weeks. But, so if you're uh, holding any tickets to that Houston game, you may be better off than if you're going out and play the lottery. You know, <laughs> I will tell you. You know, yeah, my my wife has two season tickets and. One of our really smart friends back when uh, th- this friend learned that um, uh, there was uh, two season tickets in her hands. Hey, can I be the person to go to the Houston game with you? And now everybody's like, hey, can I be the one to go? I'm sorry. Sorry. This 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 young man said back in October uh, or maybe it was even further back than that. He wanted to go. He, you got to think ahead on these kind of things, man. You got to look ahead. This, you know, we knew Virginia was going to be good. We knew Houston was going to be good. Hey, I don't it's think like, it's talking. like playing the stock market. You got to, you got to look at some sleeper stocks and, and you got to take a chance on them. <laughs> I would have thought Houston would have been a sleeper stock, but. But Virginia's side of it. Yeah. who I, 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 We had a top 20 matchup. We knew back in October, this was a top 20 matchup. One versus two, perhaps, uh, you know, no. So uh, very likely, was, very likely. Yeah, and this will remind you of Ralph versus Akeem. I mean, this is uh, you know Foss Lama Jamma and, and and Terry Holland and everything. You know that this this will bring back some good memories. So even if even if um, Texas holds serve, you know the voters are kind of keen to those kinds of things. And if Houston yeah. holds serve, it wouldn't surprise me uh, if all of a sudden the voters looked at it a little differently and flip flop Texas and Virginia. Yeah, there's, there's 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 some things coming up here. So we got to be Florida State, got to be JMU, uh, but uh, a nice win for Virginia last night. So, um, well, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. For thanks for listening to the show, and thanks Scott German, of course, for your time and your insight. And uh, if anybody has any questions, email me at chris at augustafreepress.com. Of course, all of our coverage of UVA sports and the rest of the world at augustafreepress.com. And I'll be signing off here. Everyone have a great day. <laughs>